Hi friends, Erica here, and I wanted to let you know that today's episode is sponsored by my friends over at YM Dental Lab. They are offering two free zirconia crowns for all new customers. Check them out at ymdentallaboratory.com for more information. Now, on with the show. Hi friends, welcome back. This is another episode of the Dental Billing Podcast. I'm your host, Erica Aguilar, and I am a self-proclaimed dental geek. I'm pretty sure you share the same sentiment that I do about dental billing. Otherwise, why would you keep coming back other than to hear me ramble? This week's episode is a little different. I feel like there's not enough information out there to help us as dental billers support situations like For example, when the doctor goes on vacation or we have an emergency situation, maybe our our doctor needs to take an emergency leave and we find an associate, we bring the associate on board, we collect all the credentials and what do we do with them? Nothing. And I want to talk about the billing entity versus rendering provider And then we're going to mix in a term called locum tenens, not locum tenens, like as in a tenant, I'm talking about T-E-N-E-N-S, tenens. So locum tenens, and it's very important as a biller that you understand this concept because as a biller, you need to know how to bill for a locum tenens doctor. So... We're going to dive right into today's episode, and I hope that this provides you with the information you need to take your billing to another level when it comes to locum tenens billing. Now, before we get into the meat and potatoes of locum tenens, we're going to talk about the differences between a billing entity and a rendering provider. Why is that important for us to understand? Well, you're probably going to hear me say this a few times, but it is important for us to understand the difference between the two because when an insurance plan is calculating benefits, they are calculating benefits based on the treating dentist status. So out of network versus in network is going to be determined based on the rendering or treating dentist. And there is a common misconception that the billing entity determines how that plan will get paid. This is where that misconception comes in. A lot of times the billing entity will go through the contracting process. And by the way, there is a huge difference between credentialing a dentist and contracting a dentist. Credentialing is essentially just making sure that you have all of the right pieces on file in order to be recognized as either a rendering provider at a specific practice or you're recognized as a billing entity, not necessarily contracted. Contracting is when you go through perhaps the fee schedule negotiation process. You take a look at the fee schedules. You decide if you're going to go direct contract or if you're going to go uh, in through an umbrella plan. So that's a completely different process. And I want everybody to understand that 
I will have another episode on the differences between credentialing and contracting, but just for the sake of giving some context to our conversation today, I want to make that clear. So first and foremost, we now understand that the plans are going to pay out of network, in network, based on the rendering provider's status with that plan. Okay, so the billing entity is where it's indicating to the insurance company where the check is going to go. Who are they paying? Who's going to pay taxes on this money? That's essentially why we're setting up a billing entity with the insurance company, right? So that is the credentialing process. We are telling the insurance company, here's the tax ID number you're going to pay. Here's the address you're going to send it to. And here is the NPI type two for the group, if you have a group. So that is what the billing entity is. There's no liability of the services rendered and the billing entity would be liable for things like insurance overpayments. If the insurance is requesting a refund, the billing entity would be responsible for issuing the refund and ensuring that they have the right to receive payments for dental work provided to the patients. As an example, uh, let's just say that we have a non-dentist owner and we set up the billing company with the non-dentist owner uh, corporation. That would be considered practicing dentistry without a license because as a non-dentist, you are not allowed to receive funds from the insurance company, right? So that's why we want to make sure that when, when we are processing our credentials and credentialing, we are processing the right credentialing information, okay? Now, let's move on to a rendering provider. The rendering provider is also referred to as the treating dentist in box 53 of the claim form. So let me back up. When we are setting up our billing entity, you're going to set that up to reflect accurately in box number 48 on your dental claim form. And currently we are on the 2019 ADA claim form. So make sure that you are using the most up-to-date version of the claim form. Moving into the rendering provider, we're talking about box number 53 on that claim form. So even though the claim mandates that we fill out both the billing dentist information and the treating dentist information, the claim itself is going to be paid according to the contract status of who did the work, the rendering or treating dentist. So since that is going to happen, it's crucial that the treating dentist information is accurately reflected. And please, friends, under no circumstance, should any other provider be listed, regardless of their participation status, as the treating dentist on the claim form. So in other words, and I want you to hear me loud and clear on this one. If you have a situation where you have associate doctors who are not in network with, let's just say Delta Dental because they're the mafia and they're the easiest to reference in this situation. If you have an associate dentist who is out of network with Delta and should not be rendering services to Delta patients be until they are in network. In the meantime, what I find a lot of offices do is they'll just use the owner doctor's 
NPI and name in the treating dentist section of the claim form. And this, my friends, is fraud. This can trigger an audit and you will have to pay that money back to the insurance company because the practice had no right to collect that money. It was collected fraudulently because we did not follow the appropriate steps in order to bill and receive that money, right? So if the plan is saying you cannot receive money unless your associate dentist is in network and recognized at your location, then you don't have a, a right to receive that money. I hope that makes sense and I hope that that hits home. For those of you that are in that situation, I know a lot of times when we're in that situation as billers, we kind of feel like, well, what can we do? Because we're told that that's how we're supposed to bill. I really want us as billing professionals to help our doctors understand how we can properly navigate through these types of scenarios because a lot of times we're just kind of taking a workaround or we're creating a workaround in order to get paid for the services that we are rendering without having to disrupt our patient flow. Because I know, you know, you'll find a lot of consultants, billing companies will say that, you know, you, you should not have an associate seeing, say, for example, Delta dental patients uh, until they are fully contracted with that plan. In the meantime, just have them see the cash patients. I understand the difficulties around that, and I get why people create these workarounds, but in all honesty, friends, it is our job as billing professionals to make sure that A, we are maximizing on every penny owed to the practice, so codifying in a way that we're maximizing on the interactions, and then B, we're compliant. I don't know if you guys know this, but typically when your practice goes through an audit, the first thing that they're going to ask for, the first point of reference is who is your compliance officer? And a lot of times the billers are considered the auditors of the practice and they're the compliance officers. So with that being said, as the compliance officer, it is our job to make sure that our doctors know the right way to navigate through situations like this, right? We just want to make sure we're doing things the right way. Okay, we understand that it is crucial for the rendering dentist information to be accurately reflected on the claim form. According, and I just want to point this out, this is just a little more research I did. I, you guys, I totally geek out when I'm going to create a podcast or I'm going to do a live speaking event. I will geek out and fact find everything I am talking about. According to the ADA, the treating dentist is responsible for assuring the claim accuracy submitted to any third party payer. So to any PPO, any third-party entity that we're expecting reimbursement from. And the rendering provider needs to be aware of the potentially fraudulent activities related to claim submission. I don't want to go into what the ADA talks about in terms of where most of the fraud comes from, but I will just kind of sum it up into one 
area because there were several. But the number one area is in the billing arena. When I was reading and getting my hands on every article associated with this topic was a lot of times the fraud that is committed in a practice is done unintentionally. That doesn't relieve you as the biller or the rendering provider doesn't relieve you from your responsibility to know your stuff. This is one of those things where if you didn't know, now you know, and there's no excuse to continue to commit fraud. I want you to take a look at how you guys are billing and identifying, are we using the right provider in box number 53? Is it accurately reflecting their information? Do we have the right NPI number there? Do we have the correct spelling of the rendering provider? So that's your job as a biller to ensure accuracy and making sure that the billing entity has a right to collect the funds from the insurance company. So what are some of the consequences that we're looking at if we are not listing the correct treating dentist? If you have listened to my podcast episode on dental insurance audits, I talk about one of the most common audits that is done behind the scenes. So it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with your practice until they identify that they overpaid you. But insurance companies have a right to do what's called a right to recovery audit. And this has nothing to do with your plan participation status. This has everything to do with them identifying, did they pay in the correct position? Meaning, did I pay as secondary or did I pay as primary when I should have paid as secondary? So they're just trying to identify any areas where they have overpaid. One of the second biggest areas where they find money is when we list a rendering provider as in box number 53 on the claim form, but a different provider signed the chart notes. This typically happens when we have an associate who did the work, they got credit for it in their production, but on the claim form, we put our owner doctor because our associate is not in network with that plan and we don't wanna lose out on the benefits. So again, go through the trouble of getting your associates in network if that plan, that particular plan requires it, especially if it's one of your top five payers that make up the majority of your practice income. So just do yourself a favor, right to recovery audits happen all the time and you only get notified when they identify that they paid overpaid you. Uh, These can also result in refund requests from the insurance company. Uh, They will also include administrative fees. And sometimes if you take too long to respond to that overpayment request or refund request, uh, they're going to incorporate penalties. There is something called the False Claims Act. And I want you to get yourself familiar with the False Claims Act. This is federal law. They find that you're in violation of the False Claims Act as a result of the audit that they're doing. This could result in civil sanctions. Basically, they have found bona fide fraud in your billing practices. Fraud has been identified and labeled by the False Claims Act as an intentional act committed for financial gain. So 
if you are changing the rendering provider so that you can get paid, that is considered fraud. That's bona fide fraud. So they will call you out on that. They will ask for their money back because they will say, you were not entitled to those funds and we want our money back. So just do yourself a favor and make sure that you're billing this correctly. Let's move on to when we need an associate on a temporary basis. So let's just say that your doctor's going on vacation for a month and we need to find someone to cover for that month. Let's first talk about a scenario where we don't really have anybody to cover for the doctor. So we need to find someone. You can do one of two things. You can go to a temp agency and you can find someone to cover for the, you know, those two weeks or the month that the doctor is going to be gone. You can do that through the temp agency, but you can also do it through a locum tenens agency. So let's talk about locum tenens and what that is and how how we have to navigate through that situation as billers. Okay, what is locum tenens? Let's get to the definition of what this really is. So locum tenens is a Latin term and it means to hold one's place or in plain English, it means a temporary position. Locum tenens, uh, dentists are traveling dentists. So when we're talking about hiring a locum tenens dentist. We're talking about a doctor who does not have an established practice and all they do is travel the country, sometimes the state, and do temp jobs. But they're not considered temporary doctors. They can be put in place because we had an emergency and we need a doctor to cover for our owner until they can come back and start seeing their patients again. Locum tenens has been around for decades in medicine. So this is something that is not a new practice on the medical side. This is very common. You have traveling physicians, they have no home base, and they just travel from hospital to hospital. You have cardiologists, you have whatever specialty in medical, and they are just traveling around the country providing their specialty. This is very new in dentistry because it's only been adopted or introduced to us in the past 10 years. And I don't even think it's been 10 years yet. So if you don't know what locum tenens dentists are, they are traveling dentists and they have no home base. So let's just put it that way. When you need a dentist, you can either go to a temp agency, find a temp, or you can go to a locum tenens agency specifically designed for dentists and find a dentist through that agency. Now, what's the difference between a temp agency versus a locum tenens agency? The need does not change, right? So you need a temporary dentist. And now we're trying to figure out, well, where do we go find one? A lot of us will go to temp agencies, hire a doctor and and be done with it. Locum tenens agencies actually keep the doctor's credentialing, licenses, DEA, all of that information. They, they have all that credentialing on file. And in most cases, if you tell that uh, locum tenens agency that you need this doctor to be in network with this plan or out of network with that plan, they can e- probably even identify that for you as well.
Hi, friends. Erica here, and I just wanted to pop in and give you a personal invite to our next event, Dental Billing Disrupted, which is happening in Atlanta, Georgia, on April 20th. This speaker lineup is insane, and we are going to cover everything dental billing and then some. If you're interested in learning more about the event, go to the link in my show notes, and I hope to see you there. Now, back to the show. So that's how you find a locum tenens or temporary doctor. So temp agency or locum tenens agency. We also now understand that locum tenens means a temporary position for a dentist who has no home base and they travel the country rendering dentistry. Okay, so the next question that we want to ask ourselves is when we have a temp associate, not permanent, because permanent means we need to get the credentialing and contracting done appropriately because this is going to be a permanent provider in the practice. What do we do when the dentist we have for the next month is not going to be with us beyond the month? How do I bill? Because I just explained to you that if we put the owner doctor's NPI in box 53 and indicate that the owner is the treating doctor, but they are not, they're actually out on vacation or recovering from something, that is committing fraud. So then the question that we are trying to answer now is, how do I bill for a temporary doctor? All right, I'm gonna show you how to do that. Typically, when you have a temp associate, that is a locum tenens associate. That is a locum tenens doctor. Some will have, uh, because they're just filling in for a friend, they might have a home base somewhere else. But most of the time they don't. But locum tenens doctors typically are not contracted providers with the insurance companies you have on file. And in order to bill, you're going to need the name of the locum tenen doctor, dentist, and the NPI type one of the doctor who performed the treatment on the claim. So that's for box number 53. And some plans, friends, some plans are going to grant temporary in-network status to locum tenens doctors. Now here's the thing. You do need to place a narrative in the remarks section of the claim indicating that the procedures on this date of service were provided by Dr. ABC and here is his NPI type one number, locum tenens. You must put locum tenens so that the insurance company understands that there was a, there's a reason why there's a temporary doctor there. So if we do not do that and we just place this random doctor's name to, and the insurance company has no clue who this rendering provider is, they will either pay out of network or they can reject the claim altogether and say, we don't recognize this rendering provider at your location. You know how that goes. They are looking for many, many ways to <laughs> deny, delay, reject. Just as a quick recap, you have an associate dentist, they're just there to cover temporarily. It's either a friend of the doctor, that's very common, or it's a dentist from a locum tenens agency 
Either way, it's locum tenens, they're temps. First, you're gonna have to put them into the practice management software as a provider, as a dentist. So you're gonna wanna put their information into the software so that we can put them in box number 53 as the treating dentist or rendering provider. So we wanna make sure that we have NPI type one in box 53 along with the doctor's name. And then in the remarks section, we wanna put procedures on this date of service were, pro were provided by the doctor's name, NPI type one number, comma, locum tenens. Okay, so I wanna make sure that I'm repeating myself enough so that everybody understands that is how you properly bill for a temporary associate, somebody who is just gonna be covering for a few weeks. And in most cases, not all, the insurance plan will grant temporary in-network benefits so that we don't interrupt our revenue cycle. However, as a caveat to that, I would still ask the insurance company if they are going to allow a locum tenens provider to render services temporarily as in-network. So in other words, I wanna know if I'm going to have a temporary doctor uh, rendering services for Delta Dental, is Delta gonna allow this doctor to be considered in-network temporarily as our doctor is out? Just to be safe, I like to ask as many questions as I can before the patients come in. You know me. If any of you have ever seen the breakdown of benefits that I use, you know it's crazy. I do encourage everybody to ask additional code specific information. And in this case, this is more of a scenario type of question, but we wanna know in advance that the plan is going to allow us to collect in-network benefits. If it's not, we also, if they say no, we don't allow locum tenens for this plan, then the follow-up question to that is gonna be, is the check gonna go to the patient or to the subscriber uh, or can we, anticipate payment to come to us. There you have it, friends. That is my feedback on locum tenens. I want you to get familiar with this process and with this type of billing because this is different from traditional billing. It doesn't change the coding system. It doesn't change the narratives that we use, but it does change how we are going to be paid in the sense that some plans will pay us out of network if we don't, if we're not careful about this process. It is not like the medical billing locum tenens procedures. In medicine, you only get to bill locum tenens for 60 days. You know, you don't get to bill beyond 60 days. Uh, it is truly a temporary position. And anything, anything beyond 60 days is going to be considered acquiring credentialing and contracting and all of that for that facility. So we don't have the same restrictions. Also in medical, they do need to use modifiers and indicate through code that this medical provider, this physician is locum tenens. In dentistry, we don't have modifiers. We don't use modifiers. We use diagnosis codes, ICD-10 diagnosis codes. And this is not a diagnosis. This is just indicating to the insurance company that this is a locum tenens situation. 
But in dentistry, we put that in the remarks section. We don't indicate that on through modifiers. I hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. I know I enjoyed researching it. This is something that I completely geeked out on. And it wasn't my intention to cover this topic today. In fact, I was simply going to cover the difference between a billing entity and a rendering provider and talk about how plans are paying based on the rendering provider's NPI number. Through that research, I found, you know, there's a lot of situations where we have temporary associates and we're still billing with incorrect rendering providers. And I hope that this has given you some guidance and hopefully in the future you're able to expand your knowledge. Don't stop here. Um, locum tenens is going to be more and more common with billing procedures as we have associates who come in and fill for temporary positions and I want you to be empowered with the right tools so you know how to bill. In the event the office goes through an audit, they check it off and they say, you know, this office did everything right. They don't owe us any money back because they they followed protocol. And with that being said, friends, I am recording this episode from my car. A lot of you don't know this, but I am in the process of moving to North Carolina and we are in the middle phase. I'm just enjoying my time that uh, I have traveling across the country. It's kind of like an adventure, but we are keeping up with our workflow. The beauty of what I do is that I can do it from anywhere as I am recording this podcast in my car, in the parking lot of our hotel with my two toy poodles completely knocked out next to me here. So with all of that being said, I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Bye friends. Okay, my friends, that's going to wrap up today's episode on the Dental Billing Podcast. I can't wait until the next episode and I hope that you join me. Until then, take care. Thank you.